You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What is up, Miami Hurricanes fans? We're back with another edition of Through the Smoke, a podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. Today, we're going to have a loaded show. Uh, we're going to talk recruiting on the front end with our recruiting expert, Gabby Yerutia. And on the back end, we're going to uh, break down the line of scrimmage positions for the Miami Hurricanes going into spring football. So got the whole crew here on the podcast today, uh, Gabby, Chris Stock. Uh, I tried to bring the energy today for the opener. How did I do, guys? I thought you brought it. I thought you, I, I mean, I, I, you got me pumped up at 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm ready to go. All right, let's go. So, yeah, let's jump into it. We're going we're gonna to start with the uh, Under Armour Camp Miami, um, which was held on Sunday. Featured a lot of the top guys locally and in the state. I think it's worth noting Manny Diaz was in attendance. Uh, because his son, Gavin, who is a 2023 linebacker at Westminster Christian, participated in the camp. Normally, coaches are not allowed at these type of events. But if you have a son that is uh, participating in the event, that allows, you know, there's a loophole there that allows a coach to be there. And Manny Diaz definitely took advantage of that loophole. Uh, He definitely made his presence felt. He was standing in the middle of the field. Uh, during the event and definitely evaluating everything that was going on. Uh, You know, I think the headliner group of the camp was the defensive line group and Manny Diaz was definitely paying close attention there. So Gabby, let's start there on the defensive line. Um, You know, lots of guys to get to really, but, but what stood out to you about that defensive line group from what you saw? Yeah, I mean that that was a that was a really impressive group of of defensive linemen. I mean, it starts at the top with Shamar Stewart, the five star. Uh, Gabriel Brownlow, Dindy out of Lakeland, came down like you know he was a super impressive guy. And then like you start just trickling down the list, and you think that it would get like progressively like worse, but it, it really doesn't. Like you know you had Nigel Kelly out of Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale Dillard that just became a top two four seven guy. He might have been the best guy out of all of them there. I, I think he was. I'm not sure if there's mm-hmm. really a doubt a doubt about that. And then, you know, you go Dante Anderson, you go Daniel Lyons, you know, my, the Miami commit, Jamal Johnson, uh, J- Jamari Lyons out of the Vieira area. Um, you know, just, just a whole bunch of guys. Mario Eugenio, a kid that's from, like, the Tampa area as well, who ended up being one of the best players in the camp. I think he got uh, – I know he was recognized after. So, you know, a guy you wouldn't even think to even, like, you know, would be a headliner amongst, like, that, like, really strong group of guys ended up really impressing. So – it was it, it was definitely something. Uh, you know, Nigel e. Kelly, I think, stole the show though for sure. He did. He, he was he was the alpha dog. I think uh, Andrew Ivans on his write up named Nigel Leak the alpha dog. I would agree with that. I think he was the most impressive player at the camp. What stood out to you about him and, and his performance? I mean, I, I was just impressed with just like how explosive he was. Like, I I just thought he was so quick off the edge. Like, I, I don't think anyone really had a chance 
with him, I mean, just, he had a few reps there where it was just like, holy crap, like this kid is, this kid is like legit. And, you know, I feel like a lot of the times, like, you know, when we were talking about this edge group, it was always like Shamar Stewart. It was Marvin Jones Jr. We talked about Dante Anderson. Uh, you know, we talked about a, a few of those types of guys, but Nigel Kelly, I feel like sometimes kind of got like, maybe wasn't an afterthought, but maybe wasn't always thought to maybe be in that category. I know Andrew's always been a big fan. I know he's always advocated for him. But I guess for me personally, since I had never really seen him, uh, I, I kind of maybe just left him off sometimes when kind of categorizing the group. But I think he's absolutely one of like the top elite guys amongst those. Like, I think he was just incredibly impressive. Just, you know, I think he just, he absolutely shined. He definitely separated himself amongst, you know, definitely what was the strongest group that was there at the camp. Shamar Stewart was interesting to me. Um, just kind of what we saw of him. Um, frankly, he looked a lot bigger, uh, than I remember him the last time I saw him. Um, you know, I think he, he might need to lean out a little bit. He, he looks like he's, he's on that teetering point to me of, of maybe having to have a discussion of, of needing to kick inside. Yeah. Um, he chose not to participate in one-on-ones, which, you know, always disappointing, but he has that right. Um, obviously he has great size. Uh, he is a, a great athlete at his size, but I think he would be better served if he wants to stay at defensive end at the college level. I think he needs to focus on maybe his conditioning a little bit here over the next six or seven months. Just my take. Would you agree with that? Or would you push back Gabby? No, I, I mean, I would agree. He's, he's definitely getting bigger. Like even if, I feel like from the last time I saw him, like, I think the first time I saw him was maybe in August, September last year at a, at a lineman camp, you know, him and Julian Armella were going at it. I do remember him being a little, a little smaller. I definitely remember him being smaller. I was taken back by how big he was. So I don't think I would push back on that at all. If he does want to be a pass rusher, uh, yeah, I, would, I think I would maybe like to see him trim out a little bit. I feel like you see a lot of those edge guys that are kind of a little bit leaner. Um, so, but honestly, if he did decide to stay that big and wanted to kick inside, I, I don't know if that would be super disappointing either. I mean, we've seen guys, we've seen guys be really successful at the inside and just the way football's kind of going. Like you want to be able to create pressure from all, like every single part of the defensive line. So, I mean, who knows what ends up happening there, but yeah, no, I would definitely agree that maybe he got, he's got to get a little trimmer if he wants to stay on that edge. Chris, I want to bring you in on these two guys because I know you've seen them uh, in, in real football games in the past. Um, currently guys at Homestead, Dante Anderson and Daniel Lyons. My impressions of those guys just from this camp, I haven't seen them in a real game like you, but, but Dante Anderson to me, I think he's going to have I, I don't I don't know if he necessarily has the body type to be a power five edge guy. I think he he was the smallest guy out there. Um, I think he might need to start thinking about transitioning to like an outside linebacker role if he's able to. Um, so I after seeing him at this camp, I have my concerns in terms of is he a Miami level edge guy? I'm not sure about that. Daniel Lyons. I'm intrigued by him as a defensive tackle. Um, you know, he, he plays too high at times, but I think he does move very well for his size. His body is 
appears to be growing into an interior guy. Um, those were just my impressions. I had never seen those guys before, uh, but I know you have, and, and I wanted to get your take on those two guys. Well, both of those guys have certainly been interesting prospects since they've been in high school, you know, just being at Southridge. And like you said, they, they're now at Homestead. And I think with both of them, they initially, you know, you're looking at defensive ends for both of them, both completely, even though they're, you know, same grade and teammates and linked in together. There's just, like you said, they're different types of players. And I think with Dante, to me, whenever I've seen him in person in games, he's always been that explosive guy, big, big time player making big plays in terms of, you know, getting to the quarterback coming off the edge and things like that. But like you said, he has been thin and, when you're a young player, you're kind of like hoping he develops in those kind of things in terms of by the time he gets to college to be closer to the level he needs to be at. I I still think, yeah, like you said, he's still thin. I think he's a guy that we'll see how he continues to develop with his size. Um, the speed is there. Like I said, the, the ability to make plays off the edge, he just has that knack. And really when I've seen both of them play and, and Lions has kind of been that, you know, more of a, like you said, he's like a little bit bigger of a guy. It just seems like Dante's had more bigger plays when they play together, the mm -hmm. games I've seen. So he's kind of like, just has that knack to make big plays. But I, I still think, you know, sometimes with these guys, when you see them at a certain level of, of their age, you just got to remember they are going to typically grow, get bigger once they get into the college weight program, things like that. So I'm not overly concerned about it right now. And with Lions, I felt like, you know, start out defensive end. That's kind of where he made his name a little bit. And all of a sudden he starts to move inside a little bit more at, at, in games. And, and like you said, like he's kind of maybe emergent to maybe being one of those quick to twitch inside guys that you like that could, you know, not just defend the run, but maybe he can defend the pat, you know, get to the pass rush a little bit at the defensive tackle spot. So I think both of those guys still have room to grow. And that's one thing that's great. They're still in this process, you know, and you guys have both seen, how much improvement guys can make in a year's time. Um, you talked about Shamar Stewart and, and some of the things that he's been able to do, but just, I think both of those guys still have room to grow. I think they can both get better and get bigger, but I certainly think they're both worth monitoring down here. And they've been two of the best guys for a while now in their class and, and, and nothing's really changed in terms of down here. So Gabby, there was one Miami commit that did attend the camp in Jamal Johnson. Miami only has two commits in this 2022 class. Interior defensive lineman Jamal Johnson is one of them out of Shamanan Madonna. And I thought, you know, he, he's a guy that moves well. He is undersized for his position, but the movement is something Miami definitely values at the defensive tackle spot. Um, so I want to get your take on how he performed and also you know, what, what did he tell you in terms of where things are at with Miami right now in his recruitment? Yeah, I, I mean, I thought Jamal looked okay. You know, I don't, again, like it was a really loaded group of defensive linemen. I'm not sure that he necessarily stood out, but that's not to say that he performed, performed poorly. I mean, there was a, there, there was, it was definitely a crowded room. So, um, I mean, I don't, I wasn't disappointed, I guess. I mean, maybe I would have liked to see a bit more from him um, just in general, you know, just even like the way he was kind of running the drills and all that stuff. But, you know, this is a three-star guy, you know, I don't think we're expecting him to be a, an absolute superstar. So that's not, that's not like a, a knock on him by, by any stretch. Um, I mean, he, I talked to him like as he was checking in and, 
you know, he told me things were still going okay with like, you know, good with Miami. He was talking with Jeff's with uh, Jeff Simpson. Um, you know, I was a little concerned to hear that, like, you know, he was kind of indicating that like, you know, Miami hasn't been talking to him like a whole bunch, like, you know, they haven't been setting up zoom calls or, or FaceTimes or anything like that. So I found that a bit strange. And I asked him if there was any other programs that he'd been speaking to. And he told me that, you know, Pitt and UCF had been doing a really good job of, um, you know, talking to him and communicating with him. Uh, UCF recently just offered, and he says he's been communicating with uh, Travis Williams, who obviously was, uh, you know, at Miami, had a, had a cup of coffee in Coral Gables before taking off to, to Orlando to reunite with Gus Malzahn. Uh, he also had a lot of good things to say about Charlie Partridge over at Pitt, saying, like, you know, like, he's on him all the time. That they're talking, like, almost every day, like, all it's very, very often. So, and I asked him, like, I just straight up asked him, like, do you still feel like, you know, firm on your commitment to Miami? He said he was, he said, yeah, that he feels like he's committed, like, you know, he feels good about his commitment, but that he is open and he's gonna, you know, continue to weigh his options and take the process slowly. So, you know, am I saying that Jamal Johnson's not going to be in the class? No, I'm not saying that at all. Um, I just think that, you know, there are other programs pushing here for him. And, uh, you know, I, I think that he's just, kind of keeping that that door a little open just in just in case of anything that was one thing he said to me like you know you never know what happens so um I just think it's something to maybe monitor or just continue to you know just be aware of that you know there are other programs kind of you know knocking on the door for Jamal Johnson as, as you would expect I mean he had a he had a huge junior year at Shaman Madonna I think he was first team all state from max preps you know had like 13 sacks um you know for a team that you know lost in the in the state final for the first time in like forever, like that Shamanad like does, I don't remember the last time Shamanad didn't win states. So, um, but he had a huge year. So yeah, just definitely something to kind of keep track of. Hey Gabby, I was kind of curious. I know there was a lot of recruiting information over the weekend, scoop and all kinds of stuff. I was just curious to you, what do you think st- stood out to you in terms of like the most interesting recruiting scoop that came out of the weekend? I mean, most, most interesting to me, um, I think you have to go back to Nigel e. Kelly. Like he, he said that Miami's talking to him every single day. Manny Diaz is involved there. Uh, you know, he said that he was just on a Zoom meeting with with a bunch of the guys on Miami staff this past Wednesday. He said he's setting up another one for this week so that they could break down film together. Uh, you know, I think this is a guy Miami really wants. I mean, obviously committed to Florida State. Um, you know, I asked him again, just like, you know, you're committed. How strong, how firm is that? And he was just like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, he, his words were, I'm waiting to see who can offer me something better. So can Miami offer him something better? Um, I don't know, but they're about to put three uh, first round or three defensive ends into the NFL draft. Two of them could potentially be first, first round picks. And, uh, you know, he told me that's something that, that that meant a lot to him. Like that was something that was really important to him. That's something he really buys into about Miami. So, you know, I think the Hurricanes could end up being, you know, a, a real, real player for, for the Florida State commit. I mean, so I think that's probably the most interesting thing that came out of it. And then you kind of throw into the mix that he was clearly the best player. Like we just talked about, like, I, I think that's a, that's a pretty big deal when it comes to Miami and, and that edge spot. Yeah. There was also a, a linebacker from the Kissimmee area, right? Demario Tolan. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he, he spent some time around UM. Is that right? Yeah. He, he was at Miami on Saturday. He just, you know, he did a, a self-guided tour. I talked to him too. He said that, you know, he loved the campus. He said it felt like a home, Uh, you know, Miami, he's listed as an inside linebacker on 24 seven sports, but you know, he told me that Miami actually likes him at striker Uh, DeMarcus Van Dyke, Jonathan Packy are a couple of the guys that are, that are kind of spearheading that. So, you know, he's, he's a fan of both those guys, Manny Diaz too. He said it was really cool to be competing in front of, 
in front of Manny Diaz, you know, knowing that, you know, he's a guy that, that they like, uh, they've had conversations too. Tolan and Diaz have. So, you know, I think that's definitely someone to keep an eye out for, you know, Florida state, Virginia, Auburn and LSU are a couple other programs that, you know, he kind of told me there are involved, but I think Miami's in a pretty good spot. He wants to take visits. He said that's going to be really important for him. So the fact that he was able to walk around Miami and kind of see the campus while in the area is a, is a big deal during these times, you know, like that mm. kids aren't really able to go see a lot of schools or just don't have like, you know, the capability to go see some of these schools. So I think that's good. And then mixed in with the fact that I don't know what other coach in the country, DeMario Tolan has had an interaction. Well, I don't know about an interaction, but has actually seen in person than Manny Diaz, who was, who spent basically the whole morning and afternoon at the camp. So I think that's a, I think that's a big deal for Miami. You wrote a, a in-depth notebook you, you, where you highlight a lot of the recruiting scoop, right? So if you're not a subscriber, now would be a good time. Jump into insidetheu.com, check out Gabby's notebook. I, I do think the stars of the camp were on the defensive side, but maybe give us one nugget from an offensive player from the camp you got, and then we'll move on to talk about the linebacker group there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think we got to go to Julian Armella there. You know, he's a guy that Miami really likes. You know, obviously a guy that goes to Miami Columbus, not far from UM's campus at all. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, every school basically in the country wants. Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson are a couple of schools involved there. Florida State as well. He's a Florida State legacy. But, you know, he's like, he seems like genuinely like interested in Miami. He he spoke, he speaks really, really highly about Garen Justice. Every time I talked to him, that did not change uh, on Sunday morning when I talked to him, when he was checking in, uh, you know, he said that, you know, they're doing everything that they can to show him that they want him. You know, uh, he said Ryan Rodriguez, you know, is obviously his, his, one of his close friends, their teammates at Columbus, they've grown to be really close. And, you know, Ryan, he, he mentioned again, like you know, Ryan Rodriguez is telling me all these good things about Miami too. I just think ultimately, like I, he said, there's nothing like, I, I don't know if there's anything more Miami could be doing. Um, that's the way Julian Armella made it seem. So, you know, I think that the Hurricanes are doing a really, really good job of, of showing Julian Armella that, you know, he's wanted in Coral Gables, that he's an offensive lineman that they really value in this class. And, um, you know, I think that's a, I think that's great. You know, like it's going to be, it's not going to be easy to, you know, duke it out with multiple blue bloods, but I, it seems like Miami's doing everything they can. I think Julian Armella really sees that and, and feels that love from the hometown program. And he's another guy that, you know, he's been on Miami's campus. He was at their junior day back in, 2020 before everything shut down like just just before the the pandemic kind of struck um so i think that's uh i think that's some good news coming out of out of his camp uh from sunday yeah i know one thing um one of the loaded groups outside of the defensive line right gabby was the linebackers yeah you had uh wesley I'm still learning how to say his name. Do you know how to say it yet? Basante? I, I, I think it's, I think it's Basaint. That's Basaint. what I understood from someone in the, on like from the Miami Immortals. That, that's a seven on seven team he plays for. I asked him because I was up there in Atlanta with them this past week or well, last weekend. And I asked like how you said, they said Basaint. So okay. I, that's what I'm going to roll with from, from here on out. Wesley Basaint, uh, who is a four-star guy out of Miami Central. Very athletic guy. Uh, Travius Lathan, who is a four-star guy at a Gulliver Prep, another impressive athlete at linebacker. We've touched on Demario Tolan um, out of the Kissimmee area. And then Omar Graham, who is a guy that's kind of generating a lot of buzz here recently. 
uh, more of an inside guy, in my opinion, than, mm-hmm. than those other guys that were highlighted, but very strong group of linebackers. I wanted to get your take, uh, Gabby, on how you would rank those four guys. Yeah, that, that, that's tough. I, I mean, the, the top at the top of the list is easy. I think it's that's Wesley the Saint. I think that's Miami's top target at the position. I think he has been for some time. Uh, not not only based on what I saw at this camp, but just what I've seen like on Friday nights at Miami Central. I think he's clearly the the best one there. I think he's probably the best linebacker in the state of Florida. And then after that, I think it becomes like a, almost like a matter of preference. You know, uh, you know, I think Trey Lathan showed a lot of really really good things uh, on on Sunday. You know, he came away with the MVP from the camp. He had a bunch of pass breakups. You know, he has a wide receiver background. He he played both ways for. For Gulliver Prep, he's going to stay on the defensive side as a senior just to kind of, you know, refine and tune his uh, his his skill set and all that stuff. But, um, you know, then Demario Tolan was long. He also was really, really impressive. Omar Graham showed a lot of good things. I would probably go Wesley Besaint. I'd probably go after that. <sighs> I'd probably go Demario Tolan. And then I'd probably go Trey Lathan and Omar Graham. And I feel like Omar Graham is also, is just almost like, because I haven't seen as much of him, I feel like I would have to kind of put him on the backside. But I have seen a lot of Trey Lathan, and I really like what I saw from Tolan. So that's probably how I would how would would rank those. Yeah, I wouldn't push back on that ranking. And you know, with Omar Graham, um, he he definitely, like I said, he looks like an inside guy to me. Um, and I was interested to see how he would perform in coverage in one on ones. And honestly, he held his own better than I expected, better than I thought he would. So, um, you know, on film, he shows the ability to, to play downhill and, and make tackles at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage. And then at the camp, he, he did show the ability to hold his own in coverage, with it, which I think was encouraging. Um, let's move on to 2023 wide receivers. Um, that's a loaded group, kind of, kind of a light group locally here in this 2022 class with wide receivers, but the following year. So the rising juniors, um, lots of high caliber talent. And I want you to rank those guys from what you've seen, not only on Sunday, but also just at various seven ons and during the the football season this past fall. So you got Brandon Ennis, you got Jalen Brown, Santana Fleming, and Nathaniel Joseph. Rank those guys for us, Gabby. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a really really special group. I think either one of those guys might be the top wide receiver in the junior. Like if they were juniors right now, like if they were rising seniors, I think either one would probably be be like option number one for Miami, just because it's not the strongest year in the twenty twenty two class. I mean, I think you got to go with Brandon Innes at the top. He's the number one wide receiver not only in South Florida. He's the number one wide receiver in the country. I mean, he's a he's a really really just. He, he there's no way that he looks like a sophomore like when you watch him like he really just stands out like he, he's just such an impressive guy like the way he runs routes the way he's so sure-handed uh his competitiveness is on a it's just on a different level so I would put Brandon Innes probably at the top uh not too far behind I'd put Jalen Brown and that's just because I think that his ceiling is so high like you watch him and you see that he's still not like physically super mature he's still getting there uh, I just think he has so much raw talent and just like just natural speed he has like 10 7 3 track speed uh in the 100 meter I mean he's just so fast and he's just a, he's a deep threat that not a lot of people can kind of hang around with so I'd probably go Jalen Brown there um 
I would probably go Nathaniel Joseph third. And that's just because I I've seen him like, I've just seen how explosive he can be. Uh, you know, he made a, he makes a plays in seven on seven where he just has like two guys just surrounding him and he'll just like go backwards, like a yard or two and just take off the other way. And there's just no one that can really catch him. I've just seen that speed just, just like really just give people fits, especially on the seven on seven circuit at Miami Edison too. He gave a lot of people problems. Uh, Santana Fleming is fourth and that's not even a knock on him. I, I just think that this is again, just a really special group. Uh, Santana Fleming was probably the best one out of all of them on, on Sunday. Like, you know, I just thought he run up, he ran a lot of really crisp routes. Uh, he's a guy that's absolutely blowing up. He he's picked up like 17 offers in the last like few weeks, like, or like probably like month and a half, I guess I, I should say, but he's just someone that's really blowing up. I think he's, I think he's dangerous with the ball in his hands. Again, just a really clean route runner finds a way to get open. Uh, he he can make the contested catch. I've seen him do it multiple times on the seven on seven circuit. Uh, you turn on his junior tape at, at Carroll City, you see him do it there too. Uh, so that's probably how I'd rank those guys. But really, honestly, just any one of them is would be would be more than fine because uh, again, just a really really special group. And there's more of them. There's more of them that behind you can go. Hakeem Williams at Stranahan. You can go William Fowles at. Uh, Dave Christian, you know, you got David Jester at Homestead, Andy Jean at Northwestern. I mean, this is a, it's a really, really deep class in that 2023. So those four you just ranked, who would you say Miami, it's early, right? They're 2023 guys, but who would you say Miami's in the best spot with? Um, I know Jalen Brown. I know Miami recently had a, a Zoom meeting with him. Uh, you know, Rhett Lashley, uh, Manny Diaz, uh, Benedict Hippolyte, uh, Rob Likens were all on a Zoom call with Jalen Brown. Uh, not, the weekend I was in Atlanta, so I guess two weeks ago, I think the week prior to that, so it had to be just been a couple weeks ago, um, that they were all on a Zoom. They were talking about track and stuff. So I know that the contact between Jalen Brown and Miami has really, really picked up. Um, you know, he's a quiet kid. He hasn't really thought a lot about recruiting, but it seems like Miami's the program that's kind of coming after him hardest right now. Like, that's what he indicated to me. Um I don't even think he, he it's just that him keeping everything close to the vest. I just think he genuinely just really doesn't give it that much thought. Um, so I would say Jalen Brown, maybe right now, just because of that. Uh, I know Nathaniel Joseph, you know, he grew up a Miami fan, like his whole family's Miami fans. I know that they're in a pretty good spot, but you know, you got Steve Sarkeesian at Texas offering, you got Oregon coming, Texas A&M, a whole bunch of schools are coming after him. So I know that's going to make it tough. Brandon Innes just got an Ohio state and an Alabama offer. So, I mean, I feel like we've seen that story before. I think it's going to be hard for Miami to, you know, keep him home. I think there's a chance. I know he has a really strong relationship. He's told me in the past that he's been talking to Miami since he was in seventh grade. So this is just like a really, really long standing relationship. I just think Miami's going to have to claw their way through that one. They're going to have to claw through all of these guys, like for all these guys, honestly. And, um, you know, Santana Fleming, his dad grew up a big Florida state fan. Uh, I know that they're going to be a player in this recruitment. Uh, I know my, I know he also, you know, really likes Miami grew up kind of liking Miami a little bit. So, but I would say that out of all those guys, I probably feel the most confident right now in Jalen Brown. And um, I think that that would be a really good get if Miami were to eventually be able to pick up his signature uh, in that, in the next cycle. So yeah, outside of this uh, camp, there was other recruiting news happening. Uh, recruiting news never stops, right? And, and again, if, if you guys want to check out Gabby's notebook from the Under Armour camp, I would suggest you do that. Definitely lots of good nuggets in there. But uh, other recruiting scoop happening outside the camp from Miami's perspective. 
Um, some, some crystal balls rolled in on running back, four-star running back Cody Brown, who's from the state of Georgia, was committed and signed with Tennessee. He got released from that letter of intent uh, from Tennessee w- when the coaching change happened. And Miami was one of the first schools to, to really uh, make a strong push for him. And a couple of crystal balls came in on late Sunday night from 24-7 sports experts Andrew Ivan and Steve Wiltfong uh, projecting Cody Brown to Miami. And so, you know, that probably means a decision could be coming soon. What does that mean for Miami? It, it, it means Miami's adding a, another power running back to the running back room. Uh, Thad Franklin, a 2021 signee out of Shaman Madonna, is a similar style of back to Cody. Um, so, you know, I think in 2020, Miami signed two speedy backs in Jalen Knighton and Don Chaney. Uh, this cycle, they're adding two power backs in Thad Franklin, Cody Brown. This probably also means that Miami is not going to necessarily push to add a running back in this 2022 cycle. They will kind of count Cody as that one guy for this 2022 cycle. So just wanted to, to pass that along. Uh, but, but really the thing I wanted to touch on, kind of the most interesting scoop in my opinion, is quarterback, right? Uh, most important position in all of sports. Uh, Valdosta Lounge four-star prospect, Jakari Brown, uh, plan, is planning to visit Miami on the weekend of March 20th. And he also announced that he is planning to commit uh, the following Friday, I believe, March 26th at his high school. Uh, Gabby, do you think... Do you think that means it's going to be good news for Miami? Is, is that fair to say? I think it's very fair to say just because, you know, he's not, he's not planning on seeing any of the other finalists, you know, before making a decision. Uh, I think, it, I think it's very telling that, you know, he's planning a trip to Coral Gables. Uh, he plans on making a decision shortly after that, you know, all signs coming out of the, out of the recruitment of just out of the camp have, have indicated that, you know, Miami's sitting in a really good spot. I know Rhett Lashley has, I know you've reported, David, that Rhett Lashley identified Jakuri as his top target at the position uh, some time ago. And, you know, the court, the dominoes are falling at the position. I mean, you look, it seems like every other day you're hearing of a, a top quarterback committed, uh, committing, you know, Ty Simpson just committed to Alabama, drew a large to Penn State, uh, Notre Dame just picked up their quarterback and Steve Angeli out of the New Jersey area. So, you know, it, it's happening very, very quickly at the quarterback <laughs> position. So, you know, it would be, it would be big for Miami to be able to like come all the way full circle, land their quarterback nice and early. So I think that I think Miami's in a, in a good spot for Frigid Curry at this point. I think it's, it's also worth mentioning that um, Jakari participated in a regional elite 11 event in Atlanta on Sunday and was one of the two guys that participated in that regional to get invited to the elite 11 finals, which Uh, The location is yet to be determined, but it it should tell you that. And and the reports I've heard coming out of that camp is, you know, Jakari flashes high, high, high level ability. Um, He still needs to tighten up the accuracy a little bit, tighten up the footwork a little bit. Um, But overall, when when Jakari is right and, and, you know, is, is playing at a high level, it's, it's, it's very intriguing. And, and I know 
you know, on, on the message board through the smoke, there's a lot of debate going on about whether Miami uh, should go make Jakari the guy in this class. And I think it boils down to this, right? Jakari is a guy that, yes, there are concerns about the accuracy, the footwork, the passing. But I think, I think it depends on how you look at Jakari, whether you're going to be glass half full about him or glass half empty. Because I think while there are areas he needs to clean up and work on, he also brings some elite traits to the table with his size, his athleticism, his work ethic, his leadership. And so for me personally, I would bet on that guy. Um, and again, I've seen him in person and I, I, can, I can definitely say the accuracy stuff is fair. Um, but again, I think that's, a, that's something that can be improved, can be fixed. And so I would bet on Jakari uh, improving and fixing those things. And I would also argue that Jakari getting invited to an Elite 11 finals um, tells you that people who, uh, you know, watch a ton of high school quarterbacks have seen plenty of NFL guys come through there um, through the years at Elite 11, that they see something in Jakari in terms of, okay, uh, if we can give him some tools to develop and improve as a player, uh, this guy has a chance to be special. I would agree with that opinion. Uh, but again, I think if, if, if you are concerned with the accuracy, um, you know, those things are there. But I think it is also fair to recognize guys improve over time at the quarterback position. And in particular, high school quarterbacks improve with accuracy and all that stuff. Chris, Chris, have you, I don't know the answer to this, so I'm kind of putting you on the spot. Have you watched any of Jakari's film yet? Um, you know, huddle highlights or anything like that. Do you have an opinion on him? Yeah, I have. Like you said, I've not seen him in person, but I've, you know, not just seen him on film, but I've actually talked to people in lounge there. And um, I remember doing that video game uh, thing of it as well. So I, during that time, getting to know Valdosta a little bit more, I guess what stands out to me is kind of the same things that you guys are talking about with his, you know, yes, he's not a complete uh, prospect at this time, but there's so many positives to look at in terms of his intangibles, um, you know, work ethic, things like that. So it gives you reason to believe that he will improve. I feel like the accuracy, it, it look at what you want from a quarterback in Miami's offense, if that's what we're trying to evaluate. How will it fit in? They like the scrambling ability of De'Aaron King, being able to move a little bit. And if you've got enough speed on the outside, you know, and you really feel like the, the accuracy can improve, you can see why Miami feels like it will be a good fit. And it's something that they can work on. And, and I think when we talk about it too, what it doesn't feel, I, I guess the thing is, it doesn't feel it's that far off, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. While it's an area that you notice, but it's not like, I mean, some of these guys we've seen really struggling with the ball and, and honestly, I mean, there's two guys that, I mean, we've seen guys in spots really struggle with accuracy. I remember, remember when we saw T Teddy Bridgewater, his first practice in high school and bouncing the ball all over the place, but you know, accuracy improved, you know, or even a guy like Blake Bortles, who we saw at a camp right. looking like he wasn't going to be anything. All of a sudden he's a draftable quarterback. So guys can develop at that position. And I think we've talked about this before about the intangibles at that position being so important work ethic and, and things like that. And if he has those, and it sounds like he does from talking to people in the area, he can improve on those, especially if he knows it's an area he wants to work on 
it's something that you feel like he can't improve on it. So I think that there's reasons to feel like what you said with class half full. So I think I'm not alarmed like I am with some of these quarterbacks that you see on film or in person where you're just like, okay, this, this seems like a real long shot of it working. I think with him, you see the positives. And um, for me, I also like that he's getting an experience. He's one of those guys, you know, some guys in certain positions, they, they only start as a senior or, you know, they just start get thrown in a little bit later, or maybe you just start to notice them a little bit at a camp. Whereas, you know, he's been a guy that's that's been, you know, in the limelight. And if you guys don't know about Valdosta football, it's a big deal there. And I like guys that come from those programs. And and one of those things with Jake Garcia, those intangibles that we saw that we liked there with, with going to different high-level programs makes me feel like, you know, you can believe in someone like that. So I, I think there's a lot to like with him. And and I think you see that. And I think that's what, what Miami sees. And, and certainly he'll, he'll improve, I, I believe. Yeah, I would take a shot on Jakari all day long. I, I'm totally fine with, with the take there at quarterback for this cycle. Uh, Gabby, let me bring you back in. Um, I think you reported that Jakari might be bringing someone with him on that uh, Miami visit. Is that right? Yeah, that is right. Uh, so uh, Buford, Georgia wide receiver, athlete, whatever you want to call him, Isaiah Bond. Uh, he's planning to come down to, to Coral Gables with Richard Curry. Interesting thing, uh, those two were not – They don't. these two guys actually don't have, like, a long-standing relationship. So it's not like two buddies that were like, oh, hey, let's just go check. Like, I'm going to see Miami. Do you want to come with me? It's like I think both of these guys are independently interested in Miami, kind of came together knowing that it's a possibility that they could both go there and then kind of, you know – plan this trip together like these guys aren't like like guys that grew up playing football together or grew up in the same little league team or anything like that like these are just two georgia guys that like miami that want to go see the school so um i say a bond you know track star i think he, he posted one of the fastest uh 100 meter times in in the state of georgia maybe in the nation i would heard that's something that like i don't even know if it's true but someone was saying that like oh it's the fastest 100 meters so far uh in the whole country so you know, just elite speed, and uh, he could be making his way down. Well, he is making his way down with Jacuri the weekend of, of the 20th, so that's definitely going to be interesting to see how that all kind of goes down. From from Miami's standards, you know, we, we've gotten used to Miami getting off to fast starts on the recruiting trail, right? Typically, this time of year, Miami has eight, nine, ten guys committed um, for, for that cycle. That's not the case this year. Miami has only two commitments. Um, but, but I want to ask you, Gabby, let's just say hypothetically, right? Jakari jumps in the boat and, and, and is the quarterback for this class at Miami. Do you think that would get the ball rolling in terms of, you know, I don't know, maybe other skill guys jumping in with them soon after, maybe offensive linemen or, or maybe even defensive players? Because honestly, uh, defensive players nowadays understand, hey, uh, whatever quarterback I, I sign with, that's important. That that needs to be part of the equation of uh, picking the school that I want to go to. Um, do you think adding a guy like Jakari could kind of be the spark for this class, getting the ball rolling in terms of adding commitments? Yeah, I, I really think it could. Uh, I mean, you talk about Jakari and you kind of hear like, you know, with all the things Chris was saying, just about, you know, his kind of standing at Valdosta, like who he is. I think he's a guy that people gravitate towards. I think he's a guy that like, 
you know, he's a competitor. He's a guy that, you know, has made a name for himself. He's a guy that people know. I think he could be a sort of ambassador for the class early. And I think he'd be a really, really good one, you know, just to have a guy that's done so well and elite 11 finalist, you know, all that type of stuff to have a guy like that in the fold. I think he could really get the ball rolling. I think if Ja'Curry Brown were to pick Miami, you know, Isaiah Bond is planning to commit relatively soon as well. You know, like, I think that that could almost potentially lock that up. I mean, you know, Georgia recently offered Isaiah Bond. So I think that that could, you know, potentially get interesting, but I think like, you know, coming off that visit, I think Miami could potentially land both of those guys, you know, a wide receiver out of Gainesville who was supposed to be at the camp on Sunday, but was a no show, uh, Quan Lee, um, you know, he's a guy that is, he knows Ja'Curry Brown as well. I think he could be, a, he could be a guy that, you know, gives an even harder look at Miami once, you know, if Ja'Curry Brown were to hop on board and again, you know, you're, you're just going to have a guy openly recruiting for Miami. That was one of the things Ja'Curry Brown told me when I talked to him. He's like, I want to be able to recruit for my school. And I think when you have a guy like that, uh, you know, being that type of presence for the class, I mean, you know, you can argue sometimes that he could be a better recruiter than some of the guys on staff, you know, just to have a guy like that, you know, someone their age, that's just going to be like wanting to bring some guys along with him. So yeah, I could definitely see uh, the commitment of Ja'Curry Brown being sort of like the catalyst to, getting the ball rolling here. Hey, Gabby, I had a question to kind of get your take a little bit with, with these two guys in Georgia. It, to me, o- over the years, it's, it's always felt like Miami had a shot at Georgia prospects. Um, and, and I know years past, you know, that maybe they've gotten into Texas and maybe recently it's more fun to maybe see if you can get something out of Louisiana. But it just feels like with Georgia, if we're talking about a pipeline state outside of Florida, Georgia's the most realistic option and you said you were there recently i was just curious if you still feel that way and, and maybe brown and bond are examples of miami you know really having a shot i know jess simpson with his ties there to the state i was just kind of curious your state if you're if you have the feel that the state of georgia is in play for for miami uh to grab guys out of i i do i mean you even go back to thomas davis last year like you know he was one of the top defensive players in the state as a junior like i think he was like a defensive player of the year for, you know, the classification and, you know, you add a guy like Ja'Curry Brown, who again has, I feel like he's very well respected in the state. You know, he plays at one of the state's biggest programs, you know, that he played for a state, a state title as a sophomore, uh, you know, lost in the state semifinal to a good Collins Hill team as a junior. I think he's someone, again, that has like a sort of status in the state. So you get a guy like that on board and, you know, I think that just even that opens up even more doors. And then of course you mix in, you know, Jess Simpson at, you know, a powerhouse in the state, a state uh, school that's coming off another state championship that that Buford school that Isaiah Bond plays for. And, you know, I think that, you know, you could really, you know, continue to kind of build that pipeline. I think that it's, you know, I feel like Miami's kind of grabbed maybe a guy, a cycle, you know, a DJ Dallas, a, a Jalar Holly, you know, Thomas Davis, they'll kind of like maybe snag one or maybe two sometimes. But I think that this could be a way for kind of to, to really just kind of open things up over there. I think it would be I think it would be wise for Miami to really just kind of cement themselves as a school that can that can go into Georgia and recruit just because, you know, I, I, feel, I think I read something once. I don't quote me on things, but I think like per capita, Georgia recruits like the most NFL talent. Like it's a smaller state that's just producing just a ridiculous amount of talent right now, just like I think population wise. So, you know, I think it would, I think it'd be very smart for Miami to always, you know, always recruit their backyard. Of course, South Florida is obviously home. I think that's where UM wants to recruit, but to be able to, and have the capability to go into Georgia and say, you know, we, we want this guy and we feel like we can get him. We want this guy. We feel like we can get him. I think that would be, I think that'd be really good for the program to be able to kind of get to that point where they're able to do that. 
Gabby, before we get you out of here, I want to highlight one of the articles you wrote on InsideTheU.com last week, a fun article where you just broke down uh, some of the guys who might be the next to commit to Miami, right? We already talked about Jakari Brown. He's in that article. But I want, to, I want you to give one more name uh, that you wrote about in that article as a guy you're, you're kind of looking at, okay, maybe in the next, I don't know, month or two, wouldn't be shocked if he ends up in Miami's class. Yeah. Um, I put, I put, uh, Quan Lee, the guy that, that I just, just, just mentioned, I think that he could be a, a realistic option. Uh, you know, he, he texted me on his own. Like he, I, I was just hanging out in Georgia, like at the seven on seven turn and he texted me and he's like, Hey, things are, things are going well with me in Miami right now. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, awesome, man. Like, you know, like, uh, so I think that he's someone that's, that's really interested. I know, I know you guys have talked about it with, you know, you and Andrew have talked about it, David, like, you know, there's probably a handful of wide receivers that Miami would probably take right now. Uh, I think Isaiah Bond is one, uh, you know, I think Quan Lee is definitely another one. Then you can go Shaz Preston, uh, Jaden Gibson, and maybe Isaiah Horton from Tennessee. But, you know, I think uh, Quan Lee could be someone that again, if Jacory Brown were to come in, I think he could be a guy to hop on board. Um, I would have, I think yesterday I would have said Omar Graham, but he actually said during the, during the camp that he's that he, he had initially said an April 16th commitment date, which is his birthday, but he actually said that he was planning on pushing that back now just because some other bigger programs like, you know, Michigan, Auburn, and I believe he said Oregon are starting to kind of, you know, involve themselves in the recruitment. So he was like, Omar Graham was in there because I felt like, you know, he was coming up on a decision soon. And, you know, I think Miami could have potentially went out there but uh, I would probably more confidently go with Quan Lee and again that's I'm not ready to put my crystal ball in or anything like that but uh, I think Miami's trending in the right direction with him and Jacory Brown uh, would only make that even stronger all right man good stuff Gabby uh, appreciate you jumping on with us sharing that recruiting intel and uh, you know we'll definitely have you on more in the future as as recruiting news never stops and uh we need that insight here on the pod. So thanks for joining us. Absolutely, guys. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Gabby. So, so on the back, on after this commercial break, Chris, Chris and I are going to get into some of like tight end, line of scrimmage positions um, going into spring football. So join us on the other side. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we are back. And Chris, I want to get first before we get into the tight ends, offensive line, defensive line for uh, upcoming spring football. I wanted to first uh, quickly just dive into a recent media availability we had 
with the football guys um, last Thursday. We were able to get access to new strikers coach Ishmael Aristide, along with the transfer additions uh, this spring. Cornerback uh, Tyreek Stevenson, wide receiver Charleston Rambo, and defensive end DeAndre Johnson. Uh, you know, I don't know what you can really take from from interviews, but you can you can still get a sense for maybe a guys' mentality and, and how they approach football, coaching, all that good stuff. So I wanted to get your your you know initial takeaways, I guess, on the first impressions of those guys from a Miami Hurricanes football standpoint. Yeah, definitely. I, I felt like I was able to get a good sense on a couple of things I want to mention, but yeah, coach Aristide definitely came with the energy. I think that's great to see. Mm-hmm. Definitely feels like he's going to be a big player in recruiting. He laid out a bunch of examples of him, you know, recruiting at the level uh, at a really good level in, in South Florida. He's excited about that. He feels like they can really get into Orlando with his ties there. So those are things that stand out to me and that he will definitely be a coach to watch for in recruiting the state of Florida moving forward with his role. But what stands out to me about those three guys you mentioned, the transfers, is Tyreek Stevenson. And I know it's he's been talked about a lot. And there's a lot of excitement with Tyreek. What stands out to me is I've been able to, you know, he's a guy that I covered in high school, got to know there. And I know people that are close to him and I've been able to reach out to, to them to kind of get their take, but the, and, and I saw it, it wasn't just something that was said to me, but he has really shown, he has showed a lot of maturity in that interview. He has changed. And I don't, and in saying that, I don't want to say like when he was in high school, he was this immature guy. I just think it's almost like the natural growth of going to a big time program for a couple years at Georgia, you know, just really seeing what it's about. And he seems to have this laser focused on, being a really good player at Miami, winning, working hard, and all of those things that you like, especially with the transfer. This is exactly what we've been hearing about some of these other big-time transfers, you know, Derek King when he came in. And I think Tyreek fits in that mold. I think he is going to have this focus. And maybe one of the things that stood out to people, if you watch the interview, full things on the YouTube channel on Inside the U, you can find it there. But he talked about, he, he slipped in there saying, like, hopefully, basically, hopefully he's only here at Miami, basically, is what he said. And in in saying that, that means he's a third-year draft-eligible junior. He's hoping to have a big year and he can move on. Now, whenever I hear stuff like that, I know for a fan standpoint, it's like, what, he's already thinking about leaving? But I have always felt this way. Whatever your motivation is to be a great player or to be a productive player or whatever it might be to have a large role, I am all for. If his goal is to be an NFL player immediately in one year, then you know this guy's going to have to have a really big year. He's going to work hard in the offseason. And I think those are only positives for a Miami standpoint, even from a fan standpoint. Of course, you'd love to have this guy around or any of these guys around for all four years, five years, whatever it might be. But I think it's okay if he's got this focus and if you're going to get great play out of him because ultimately that's what you want as a program anyways. So that's what stood out to me. I also felt like he did a really good job in being thoughtful in his answers. And um, we don't always see that. You know, I felt like he tried hard to, to deliver honest, truthful answers. So his laser focus is what stood out to me. And I think that could be a really positive sign as we get into spring football. Yeah, I agree with, with all those takes. I think, and I'll say this about all three of the guys, right? Tyreek, Charleston, DeAndre, um, you know, Miami has definitely, I think the last two years, they've hit on some, some guys with maturity, some guys with a pro mentality, which is, which is what you're speaking to, right? I think you look at wide receiver KJ Osborne, 
Jalen Phillips, Trayvon Hill, Bubba Bolden, De'Eric King, Quincy Roche, Jose Borregales, Jared Williams. These are older guys. These are mature guys. They're focused, um, you know, self-motivated pro mentality type guys. And I think the, all three of the guys we got to speak to uh, last week, Tyreek, Charleston, and DeAndre have that. So in that regard, I am encouraged that it appears Miami's adding more of those types of guys into the program for this year. And yeah, like you were saying, uh, I, I think they're all focused. Um, I think they're all ready to go. And I think, you know, we've seen Miami have these transfers take on leadership roles. I think these guys certainly have that capability too. Now they got to kind of earn it. I think this spring first, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if all three of those guys emerge as leaders by the end of the 2021 season. I think it's that the mentality, but I think all three of them have something to prove, even though they've had some success or, you know, success at their previous schools, you know, Deandre's played a lot at Tennessee. Charleston had the big year and Charleston mentioned he feels like the, you know, that he gets the question, can he return to 2019 form? So he feels it. And Tyreek, you know, can he play that corner position full-time on the outside? That's, that's his thing. A lot of, they all have something to prove. And I, I think it's going to be great influx into the team because these guys aren't coming just to put on the Jersey and, and be hurricanes. You know, they're, they've got stuff to prove. And, and like you said, they've got the pro mentality. I think it's go, going to only help. Let's go on to, to tight end. So we were gonna, we were gonna touch on tight end in the last podcast. Uh, we push it back to this, this podcast. So uh, tight end, obviously, I mean, really the one guy that they're going to be missing from the 2020 season is tight end Brevin Jordan, who is moving on to pursue his pro career. Wish him all the best there at the next level. Um, and so from a Miami standpoint, Will Mallory will be tight end one for the first time in his college career. Uh, Chris, wh what do you think is, is a fair expectation of Will Mallory in a tight end one role? I think, you know, Brevin has had plenty of, of injuries that has allowed Will to take on that role in games. Um, so we've seen glimpses of him in that role, but now that he's kind of entering a season and, you know, can fill that role during the whole course of the season, what are you expecting of Will going into this year? So based on, and I've done this for years, I've always been intrigued by the tight end position at Miami. And I have a, I have a spreadsheet that I keep track of everything from 1999 on. And I will note that Miami's top tight end seven of the last eight years has caught at least 30 passes in a season. As far as an expectation for Will Mallory, I think he will be in that category. I think he'll eclipse the 30 catch mark this year. I think he's a guy that, you know, kind of maybe that 30 to 35 catch range. I don't know if he's going to be that 40 to 45 that you've seen some of these guys, but I think he's a guy that what we've seen is he's got a guy that can score touchdowns. He can get up the field in a hurry and make big plays at that position with those seam routes. I know they really want to utilize him, And I think he's going to be a productive tight end. I think he's, you know, I think it's been good that we've seen him in the last couple of years do well in the role that he's been in. Um, I would have I would have a little bit more reservation if we have not seen it before, but we've seen him do well and we've seen him have good games and score touchdowns. And I think that's what we'll see more of. I think he'll be that productive tight end, like what we've seen in recent years. Like I said, that seven to eight 
year range uh, that's been going on with Brevin and David Njoku, Chris Herndon's. I think he's going to, you know, Clive Walford goes in that mix too. Is it just a productive number one tight end? I think, I think you're going to expect that from Will as well. So I looked up in the games Brevin Jordan was injured and Will played. What was his production in those games the last two years? So the last two years um, in those games, Will averaged 58 receiving yards and about half a touchdown per game. Um, now that might not sound like a, a ton of production, but if he is able to, you know, pace that over the course of a 12 or 13 game season, that is a 600 plus yard type season and a six touchdown type season. Can Will Mallory have that type of year? We'll see. I, I think to me, the biggest question with Will honestly is his health. He, he's kind of gotten a little dinged up every single season. And I think that has limited him and, and his production uh, in those years. I think he tries to play through it, which is commendable. But I do think, I, I think we haven't seen a fully healthy Will Mallory for an entire season. Um, I would ask you, Chris, do you think it's, do you think it's unfair to say if Will Mallory is healthy, he can get 600 yards this season? Yeah. I mean, we, Brevin didn't do it. And I know Brevin wasn't um, healthy all those times, but I just think that's a, that's a lot of yards. And, and I know it is. we're going to get into it. And, and I know people might look at, oh, 600, that's not that much. But, but you know, college tight ends just don't do that very often. Um, you know, that, that kind of puts you maybe – maybe even top 10 in the country, if I were just to like guess, but it definitely puts you as one of the top tight ends in the country. I think he's going to be a productive guy. And maybe you're looking at his yards being higher because you're not so sure what you're going to get from the wide receivers in the passing game. And you have a quarterback that, that can throw the ball. So it's got to go somewhere, but yeah, I, I think it, you know, we'll, we'll see. And, and certainly the, the banged up part, you know, playing through it. I also think too, and maybe this goes in line with the injury. Sometimes we do see, yeah, we've seen him have those three to four catch games. We've also seen him have games where he gets a catch in the first quarter, catch or two, and and then we just don't see him um, produce mm -hmm. for whatever reason, whether it's injury, play call, whatever it might be. So to be that true number one guy, to put up numbers like you're talking about, you've got to be consistent um, throughout a game, not just game to game. Um, so it'll be something to watch for. And then also, um, you know, just that that expectation now that you are the guy and and we'll see, but yeah, certainly 600 would be a, would be a great season for him. It's not happened a lot at Miami, even from the really good tight ends. Um, so, so we'll see. So Miami is tight end you, right. Which, which allows them to recruit that position at a, at a very high level. And this spring, they welcomed an early enrollee freshman, Elijah Arroyo, who, in my opinion, I think he was the third best player Miami signed in this, in this 2021 class behind the five stars, James Williams and Leonard Taylor. I would put Elijah below those guys. So I think he's a guy that's extremely athletic, um, definitely can grow into being an elite productive player at Miami. My question to you, Chris, is, is what do you expect of him this year? Um, you know, he's going to be there in the spring, so he's got that time to adjust. But is it unfair to expect too much of him? Yeah, I guess it just depends what you do expect from him because I've been, you know, kind of reaching out to, to get a take on how he's doing right now and their thoughts on him. And like you said, he's there on campus, and that's great for his development. And, and they just, 
people at UM really feel like they really like his upside. Um, and I do too, you know, you saw it on film, right? So mm -hmm. it's definitely there. I think expecting him to be a productive, even a number two tight end, I don't know if that's going to happen because I think they have a lot of hope in, in Larry Hodges um, to be that number two guy. He's a guy that's been in the program. True freshman tight ends typically don't just come in and, and make plays. I think there's a lot to, that goes in to the tight end position, um, you know, blocking schemes and catching passes. There's a lot that goes into it, not just, you know, run downfield and, and split out wide or get the ball thrown to you. So I think if they didn't have Hodges, I'd feel like, you know, Elijah could get in a little bit more. And you do like, if you're kind of comparing the two, you, I feel like I like Elijah's upside better. I just think from the immediate impact standpoint, as long as Larry is healthy and productive and they've had, again, he's been on campus for a while and, and that they value that as a staff, I think he'll get the first crack at it. So unless Larry really drops off and I, I just don't think that there's, if you're talking about in terms of production, there, there's not a lot of production to be had for three tight ends in one season, you know, Elijah might be able to flash like we've seen other young players do, but the only way I think he's going to have one of those productive seasons is if he really passes Larry. And I think a lot of it will have to do with his blocking, but also really have a really good understanding of the playbook and what to do, because it is a position that, like I said, a lot goes into it and, and you have to be trusted um, to handle all those roles. And again, it's not, not really even a knock on Elijah per se. It's just, youth at that position and think about other guys, but I definitely think he's going to be someone to watch for. I'm curious to see how it is, how he does in the spring. You want to see him flash. You want to feel like it. Yeah. If Will gets, has a, an injury, you know, like you just talked about, if Larry moves up, you want Elijah to be ready to go too. So um, he's definitely someone to watch for because you want to see that athleticism, that, that playmaking ability flash um, in, in the spring, even if it's on a limited time basis. Moving on to the offensive line, um, I think it's fair to say year over year from 2019 to 2020, the group went from being poor, awful, whatever word you want to use to describe them in 2019 to, I would say, average. I think they were average in 2020, um, which, quite frankly, is a big jump. That was a nice step forward for that group. Um, they return everyone, I guess, that that played or, or was, was kind of available in 2020 uh, to this 2021 team. So the question I have for you, Chris, you know, let's just say this group left off being average in 2020. Can they take the next step uh, and be above average, maybe even good? Can this offensive line be a strength of the team? Or is there a cap there with the overall talent of the group? Is that unfair to expect? It feels like year after year, looking at offensive line, not just at Miami, but kind of around college football, you really value the experience. Um, it feels like the better ones, you know, have that experience. They're, they're older guys. I think right when you talk about it, Jared Williams is going to be 24 years old in the season in his seventh collegiate season, which is yeah. crazy. Yeah. But all of these guys have, not just last year, David, like these guys have been playing like Zion Nelson started as a freshman. You know, these guys have games under their belt. DJ Scape has played a bunch of games. Navon Donaldson played a bunch of games. So you would like to think that they go from average to above average, right? Like take that jump because your experience is there. And if, if they, they really need them to, you know, I don't think they can rely on um, just being okay in some games. And, and, and my, one thing that stands out to me is when you play those better teams, you need to still perform and, we didn't, I felt like those were the lapses 
that's when they struggled and and it looks bad you know when they're struggling we talked about it in the running back situation when we talked yeah. about running backs at the last podcast it looks bad guys aren't even really touching guys you're seeing it in pass rush like just plays getting completely blown up and i know that does happen to other teams but i think this group they've got to really be that consistent strong group and um and i think the big thing for the spring i know you probably want to get into it more but he i feel like it's important for him to really you know coach garen justice who i'm talking about just really establish who their guys are and um and it can change but but i think they want to have a real clear identity who their guys are what they do well and and hopefully you hear these guys really improving even in the off season their strength numbers i think that'll be something to watch for um just kind of your take on this and also Kind of curious if there's guys that you think will change the course of who will start next season, mm-hmm. or is it going to be the same guys? Or they did shuffle guys around last spring when Garen came in, and just kind of curious on your take who 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 their five or their best five or what five you think will be. Yeah, I want to see some shakeups. To be honest, I want to see a different group, and I think that domino effect would begin with inserting Navon Donaldson back into the starting lineup. I think Navon is kind of a divisive guy with the Miami fan base, right? Either you're a Navon guy or you're not. And I get both sides of the argument. I am a Navon guy. I think, well, let me say this. I am a Navon guy when he's got his conditioning right and he's healthy and, and able to play at you know the highest level we've seen him play at. I think he can make an impact in the run game. So I want to see Navon inserted into the lineup. And the thing is, if they do that, then yeah, it's, it's going to knock a guy or two uh, potentially out of the starting lineup. So let's play a game here, Chris, and, and let's just go left to right. This is just our opinion. What would you want to see the starting lineup offensive line be, you know, we could say maybe at the end of spring or maybe even, you know, project it forward going into the Alabama game, just a fantasy offensive line. Cause I think Miami could go in a lot of directions here with, with all the players they have. So I'll just go left to right. And, and you can either poke holes, agree, whatever you want to say about this projected offensive line, but this is what I want to see. And I'll tell you why. So left tackle Zion Nelson, nothing new there. Um, left guard. I'm going to go Jalen Rivers, and that's a projection. I, I am just a believer in his talent. I'm a believer in his size. And my goal for this offensive line is to put, guy, put five guys that can move people in the run game. I think with the new spread offense, you know, the quarterback's always in shotgun. Pass blocking, pass pro is always important, but I think it's easier in this side, in this style of offense. Um, and so I want guys that, you know, can, can mash up front. Jalen rivers is that type of guy. He's got that strength. He's got that athleticism. He's got that size center, Corey Gaynor, nothing changed there. Right guard. I would go Navon Donaldson for all those reasons. I said about Jalen rivers, big dude. I think he can open up run lanes, move people in the run game, the right tackle, Jared Williams. So, um, that would be the guys I would like Miami to see. Uh, I would like to see Miami use as the starting lineup, either by the end of spring, going into Alabama, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that knocks out 
Ja'Kai Clark and DJ Scaife as starters from last season. Uh, would you push back on that? Yeah, so the biggest the biggest thing I'll say about this, and I think maybe if you look at the line, maybe you look at Corey Gaynor as a guy that you're just wondering, you know, what kind of upside that, you know, what will he really do? However, I don't see him losing that starting spot because, and I'll say this, he is a guy they view as a captain, as a leader of the group. It's not as simple for a coach to just like, okay, 65, you're out of here. Thanks for your services. We're going to go a different route. I know fans might think that way. And I know it might be easy or certainly easy if you're doing the dynasty video game series I've been doing, you just take them out and don't have to worry about anything. I just don't see that happening. As far as the five, you mentioned the thing that only thing I would switch is I would go Donaldson left guard rivers, right guard, Um, just flipping the guard side. I I prefer the size on the left side, playing against playing with Zion and also just Navon's played left guard. He's played right guard too, but that's where he last started. So I would go left guard there. I think that, so in saying that, that's, that means DJ Scaife would take a back seat, and maybe DJ's a guy that could slide into to center. But again, they just like the work ethic and the, the leadership of Gainer, that he's vocal and things like that. And what we saw last year from DJ Scaife certainly just was not good enough. I mean, it was he had not just bad plays or bad sequences. There were games he just didn't play very well. Like he was kind of a weak link, and that was a little surprising because he was named Team MVP the year before. We can <laughs> argue about that, but. The point is he just didn't play very well last year and he's got to be much better. He was a guy that, again, he's played a lot. He's played some tackle. He's got to be better. And I think the player to watch for in the spring and, and Navon, I, I'm one that I'm not as big on, or I'm not as um, keen on his size and things like that. I'm not as worried about it. He's a big guy. And I, and I, and I, I'm not as worried about that. I think he can use his size to his strength and I think he'll be fine there. I think Jalen rivers is the guy to watch from the spring. They said at the end of last season, He's going to be a guy that really, first off, that he gained a lot of experience in practices and and got to know some things. And the big thing that stands out is he's one of those perfectionist types that, you know, kind of gets down on himself a little bit. But he was going to be a guy that really felt like that could compete in the spring. And I think he's a player to watch because if Rivers is that level, it feels like that they that they are going to give him a, a fair shot um, as he gets ready for his second season at Miami, a highly regarded guy. So uh, he's the one that I'm most interested in seeing, even though. DJ Scaife has the ability to play better than what we've seen. I just feel like they're not going to make that move unless Jalen is really good. So we'll see how Jalen does in the spring, but he's the one that, that I think to watch for. And again, if you're looking to move out Gainer, maybe Rivers is a guy that you'd like to see at center, but that again, that's not something that they're really looking to do. Ja'Kai yeah. Clark is a guy that has gotten reps at center. So maybe he would be the most likely candidate, but I, I just go back to it. And again, the tackles, we're only talking about those, those three guard, you know, those interior positions because the tackles, they seem very happy with Zion Nelson and Jared Williams is back for his seventh season. So he's not going anywhere um, at right tackle. So I, I think it'll be something to watch for. And I don't really see any other player outside of that seven really contend. I'd be very surprised if someone uh, emerges into the group and really gets first team reps, even though we've seen a guy like John Campbell. I know at one point fans were excited about maybe Cleveland Reed would develop, but I just think it's those seven guys to watch for. So my thing with Jalen Rivers that I think is interesting to think about, um, you know, the talents there, the size is there, all that stuff. I think ideally you would want to put him next to a tackle that is vocal. um, Cause you know, 
a big part of being of, of a successful offensive line is being on the same page. And if you're going to throw Jalen into the fire, there's probably going to be some growing pains there. Right. And so you would ideally want him to be next to a vocal tackle that could help him, uh, you know, understand what's coming snap to snap or, or whatever the case may be. I don't know who that would be with Zion and Jared Williams. Both those guys are kind of quieter guys. Um, and and Jalen rivers is, is an intelligent guy. Maybe he can just figure it out on his own. Maybe he doesn't need that type of help. Um, but I would feel better in terms of projecting what side I like Jalen the most on. If there was one of those tackles that, you know, did emerge as like a vocal guy or a guy that would kind of definitely help bring him along. Um, so that's, again, you and I both would like to see him as a starter. That's one thing though, that kind of gives me pause is like, okay, are they really going to, uh, take that jump? Because, you know, I'm not so sure. I Zion to me, Zion and Jared, both are kind of guys that just do their job, handle their business. And, you know, I'm not sure they're the greatest communicators. Do you think that's a weird take or is that fair to say? No, it's fair to say. And I was actually wondering where you're going with it because I was like, man, I don't know who of the two, if there is a better side for him in terms of what the things you're talking about. And even though, you know, kind of my take on it, even though you like the young guy and, and, and all this stuff, it kind of goes back to what I was saying with Corey. It's a lot easier for them just to put Donaldson in for Clark, keep the same f- other four, keep yeah. Scaife in there with the experience. And I, if I were to guess, I bet that's what they would do. Same. I would just, I would just kind of assume that's what's going to happen. It's not, it's not, um, you know, you've covered the team a long time too. And, and what, whoever the coach is, it doesn't matter who it is. You know, it's, it's hard for them to always just default to the younger guy, the freshman or the younger guy, or even maybe a guy with more upside. And I think that's one of the things that kind of bothers fans a little bit more because when, when fans want to put together their rosters, they're, they're looking at those kind of things and, and things that they like, Oh, this guy's got the upside. Why not good? But it's just not that simple the way things work. And they really um, grow to that loyalty towards the, the, the guy that's played a while. And, and again, justice is only in his second season. So maybe you look at it that way, but I just think across the board, college coaches are just kind of more equipped or, or more programmed to just kind of stick with the experienced guy and, and not really ruffle the feathers with a drastic change. Um, it doesn't matter what position that is, but I, I think that'll be the thing to watch for, because again, I think Jalen's got, if he's going to pass someone, he's got to be really good. Not just like, yes. okay, that was, that was nice. Or that was a good day or yeah, he was okay on that, those plays. He's got to be really good. Kind of like in boxing, you know, to beat the champ, you really, you know, in that, in that matchup, for a belt, you got to really knock out the champ. You know, I know that's a saying. I, I feel like that's what happens with a lot of young players. And I think Jalen's going to have to be in that category. Yeah. Pretty much all college coaches will put the players on the field. They trust the most. And so, yes, to your point, Jalen, this is a big spring for Jalen rivers. He's got to clearly be better than those other guards that are competing for those first team reps. Um, moving on to defensive line to me, the, the, the big, talking point with this position group is the edge rush spot. Um, I'm curious on where you stand on kind of this balancing act of takes, right? Cause I think you could have the take of, well, I'm really concerned about 
how the edge rush looks on paper right now. Um, you know, there's not necessarily a highly touted recruit amongst the group that is returning. There's not a ton of returning production amongst the group. But then on the flip side, you could have a counterpoint and say, well, this Manny Diaz defense is very defensive end friendly. And whoever they have plugged in at defensive end over the years so since 2016 uh, has produced at a high level. I think every year Miami has featured a guy, at least one edge rusher that has totaled at least eight sacks for a season. So, so my question to you, Chris, is where do you stand on that? Do you think Miami has an eight sack type of guy on this roster right now? Or are you concerned? Yeah, I'm probably more concerned than, than jump into the automatically going to eight sacks. I remember there was a time where that was really hard to do for a yeah. Miami defensive end or a player. I know DeAndre Johnson kind of steps in as a guy that they're going to have high expectations for. I've not seen a lot of DeAndre at Tennessee. Obviously saw him in high school, but yeah, I, I would say, you know, to answer your question, simply put, I'm a little bit, I'm more concerned than I am more definite that it's going to work out. I think some of the guys that have had those eight sack seasons were elite level guys with Jalen and, um, you know, just the, the guys that they've had that have been really good at defensive. Yeah, Greg Rousseau, uh, Garvin, Joe Jackson, Trent Harris. I mean, the, the Trent Harris example right. would be the hope, right? Yeah, and I think because going into that season, you know, Trent wasn't a guy that you were like, oh, he's going to have one of those huge years. You were kind of almost of a – he was kind of a forgotten guy because he hadn't really done something like that. So, yeah, the older guys in this defense – can really emerge and maybe it'll happen. I, I know people like Jafari Harvey. Let's, let's see what he does in year three. You know, he's a guy I mentioned Deandre Johnson. So there are guys that there there's hopes for. And like you said, it, it's part of the defense. It's something that's really important for them to get those rushing um, stats, you know, pass rushing tackle for losses or big categories for Manny Diaz's defense. So, so we'll certainly see how they do. They've got, you know, they've got uh, guys with experience on the inside that should maybe help take some of the pressure off the ends so it's definitely possible, but I think it's also hard to say because you're not exactly sure who exactly the two guys are going to be. Although you would, you know, going into spring, you would assume it's going to be Harvey and Johnson. Um, but certainly some other guys could emerge and, and we'll, we'll certainly see. So I would assume, and this is honestly me defaulting to the seniors, right? Or the veteran guys. I would assume that at the start of spring football, it'll be DeAndre Johnson and Zach McLeod. Um, I don't know what to make of Zach McLeod as a defensive end. Uh, you know, I'm curious, but I think I would prefer him to be maybe like a third down guy you bring in if, if you feel like he can fill that role. What are you expecting a, a, from Zach McLeod in that kind of edge rush role? Yeah, it's hard to expect a lot. Um, just making that transition at this point in his career, you know, he's been you know, he's been considered, you know, fairly athletic at the linebacker position, but not, not off the world, you know, off the charts type athleticism. So it's not like you automatically be like, Oh, he's going to be just fine with this. Yeah. I I'm a little bit more in reservation with him. And one of the things just with Zach and his whole career, and I know took a lot of heat last year, not the productive season he was expecting or many expected him to have. He's like, he's a guy that strikes me as like, you know, 
just a really solid guy, guy that works hard, wants yeah. to be good and those kind of things. Like the personality and tangibles are all there. So you're definitely, you know, when, when people have that, you're definitely rooting for guys like that. So maybe he can put it all together and, and have one of these good years. And maybe he could be, like you said, like a Trent Harris type that, and Trent was a guy that moved around at Miami a little bit in his career, yeah. but maybe just a guy that's productive, older guy. And maybe he is going to be one of those guys. I think it'd be good for the defense if, if he can be that. Um, I, I'm just, I would be surprised and I'd be surprised if he would um, be overly productive where he's one of those guys you can't take off the field and um, we'll see how he does in his role. And I'm certainly will be hearing about him. Um, but yeah, he's definitely one of those guys to watch. There's no doubt, but you know, I, I just think more for him finding a role on the team where he can be productive. Like you said, if it's a third down role or whatever it might be rotating in, I think that might be the best uh, situation for him. Yeah. I think it's fair to say like, he's going to be a leader of this defense for whatever that's worth. Is he going to be a starter that remains to be seen? Um, it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out with his transition to the line of scrimmage on the inside. Miami returns Nesta Silvera, Nesta Jade Silvera. Uh, after, you know, a very nice uh, step forward from him in 2020. I think going in that 2020 season, I know I had reservations about whether the light would come on with him. Uh, it's, it certainly did in 2020. He was, he emerged as, as a consistent player on, on the inside. I think he flashed in some games, some specific games, and even like, if you want to break it down to specific halves of games. He emerged as a really disruptive player at times on the inside. I think we'd like to see that level of play on a more consistent basis in 2021. And if he does, he will be one of the best defensive tackles in the ACC. And that's no small thing to just brush aside. So what, what would you say is a fair expectation of Nesta going into 2021, can he take a big step forward this year? Or do you think we might just see kind of the same guy, which isn't a bad thing. Uh, he was very productive in 2020. Um, I guess, what do you feel like the ceiling is for Nesta in 2021? Okay. So with Nesta's play, yes, he can take improvements, but for me, what I'm going to be looking for is he, is he going to be the guy on the defensive line? Is he going to be that vocal leader, that leadership guy, the guy that rallies his group He's been kind of that strong personality type at Miami. But last year with Jalen and Quincy doing their thing and Greg the year before, you know, there's been other guys with the spotlight on them. I think clearly the spotlight is on Nesta Jade Silvera this spring, this season. I think he needs to be that guy, like really show that leadership quality. I think that's going to be the jump that he needs to take where, like we said, if we have question marks at defensive end, I think it's got to be him that that really brings these guys up. I think it's he's just got to have that definite leadership quality at that position. Um, the whole defensive line, not just defensive tackle, but just like, here's what we're going to do. This is how we work. This is what we're going to do in the games, and we're going to get after it. And I think his play will improve. Um, you know, his production might, might improve, but I think the, the leadership thing is the big thing. And honestly, that's the biggest thing that I'm going to be looking forward to these next six months before the season starts. There are a lot of guys that came back this year and a lot of them talked about doing big things. And we've not heard this at Miami in a while where they really feel like they can either win an ACC championship or compete. And we just, we used to kind of hear that years ago and it kind of goes away kind of more realistic approaches or sometimes they say it and don't mean it, that, that kind of thing. But I think this group of, you know, guys like Mike Carly, Bubba Bolden, and, and not to go too far off the, 
the position group that we're on, but Silvero to me falls in line with that. Like mm-hmm. this leadership stuff that these, this clear goal of being, having a really successful season needs to infiltrate throughout the off season, this confidence, all of these things need to, to, to come through. And I think Silvera to me is a guy that, that can really be one of those guys, those top guys to really dictate the tone and the intensity of the team. And I think his play is so important. And if it's not there, I think there's a huge drop off because I don't think they have one of those guys in the group. Maybe you have guys that, that have experience with McLeod or DeAndre, but they're just not that kind of personality that Nesta has. And I, I, I think it's so important to have uh, particularly on a defense. And I think he can really set the tone. So talk about, are there things that he can step forward with? That's the biggest thing to me is he's got to be that clear cut best, you know, most loud, you know, the loudest voice of that group. And, and I think when he's doing that, I think his play will, uh, or his play will improve as, as well. Game one against Alabama. Do you expect John Ford or Jared Harrison Hunt to start next to Nesta at D tackle, the other D tackle spot? Yeah, I would assume it's going to be Jared. Um, you know, I, I think he's he, he showed enough last year where he can take that jump. I think the only thing I would say is there's a big difference between Jared's size and John Ford's size. And if to me, I, I kind of like that athletic guy like Anesta playing alongside a guy like John Ford, who's like a bigger guy. And, and Alabama's going to come with size that game. So I could see that happening. But I could also see Jared just, you know, really emerging like, look, this guy makes plays. He's gotten better from a year ago. He's gotten a little bit bigger in the offseason. So I could see Jared, just because of his playmaking ability, that he's going to emerge and be that starter. For me, though, I'm really looking at what Leonard Taylor is going to do when he arrives. I think he's good enough. I think he's going to be big enough. I think he's going to be better than Jared Harrison Hunt. And I don't know if they're going to go ahead and make that move from game one. I just think Mm -hmm. he's the real deal. And I think that he would be just fine if he does. But either way, I expect Leonard to play uh, a lot in that first game even though he's not on campus in the spring, I just think he's that good of a player and, and they can really put him in there. And I think maybe talking about Nessa Jade Silvera, when he was a recruit, highly regarded guy, he didn't make that impact as a freshman. I think Leonard is a different, um, a di- he was a different prospect yeah. than Nesta at the time. And I, and I just think he's a guy that they can put in there if they want to. But yeah, to answer your question, I think they'll go with Jared. I think he's going to make enough plays in the offseason, enough improvement that he's a guy that they can rely on on a full-time basis. I kind of view Elijah Roberts as the 2021 version of Jared Harrison Hunt last year. You know, Jared kind of had that breakout year where he flashed, you know, showed some nice ability. I think there's a chance Elijah Roberts might be that type of guy at defensive tackle in 2021, a guy who's, you know, works his way into the rotation as the season progresses and flashes some nice athleticism at that interior spot. Would you push back on that? No, I definitely believe that. And one of the things you liked about Jared Harrison, that was his basketball background. I've seen, I've watched Elijah play basketball. Um, not nearly the player that Jared was, yeah. but you like, again, you like the, the, the footwork, you like the, the work ethic and the mentality that we've heard since his arrival. I like the fact that early on he was kind of okay with moving to defensive tackle, you know, early in the, rec- or yeah. just in the recruiting process. And some guys fight back on it and want to stick at defensive end, but he was willing to move that. And I think he's definitely going to be a guy. I think he's honestly, I think he's going to jump right into that mix to, to be one of those defensive tackles. I, I, I like what I'm hearing more about him than the, the other guys that they have on campus um, or the guys coming in. Um, 
other than other than Leonard. But yeah, I think he's Elijah's going to have a role on this team in that rotation. I would be surprised if he's not. The thing that got me excited about Elijah last year was those the kickoff coverage, right? He was he made multiple tackles on kickoff coverage. I think one of them he forced a fumble. And again, this is a defensive tackle we're talking about. And he's going to continue to add size and all that. So the kickoff coverage days are probably over now. But still, like, you know, when Miami was right, when Miami in the early 2000s, you would see those future stars making plays on special teams. And, you know, we'll see. Time will tell if Elijah is going to be a star. I don't know that yet. But the fact that he was making plays on special teams in that role, to me, is highly encouraging for his future. So, yeah, I mean, I think that wraps it up here with the other edition. Another long one for you guys. Um, it's fun talking football and recruiting with you, Chris. And uh, we will do it again, I think, on Thursday. We'll, we'll have another episode where we break down the back seven of the defense going into spring. Spring is right around the corner. Football never stops. Football recruiting never stops. So stay locked here onto InsideTheU.com. Uh, through the smoke podcast and, and appreciate all you guys listening all right take care See you. when you have sports mixed with your pop culture along with humor and celebrity interviews your earbuds are enjoying the rich eisen show dan orlovsky are you still a Jaden daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy i think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one i think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft every quarterback in the nfl is accurate he's got the best on tape number two most transferable stuff to the nfl and then i think the third thing is pocket peace search for the rich eisen show on youtube or wherever you listen